Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a video and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Today, it is my privilege to welcome a very, very senior banker turned entrepreneur, if I can say that, Sanchita Mukherjee on my show. Sanchita, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. It's such an honor to be here, honestly. I mean, the kind of work, the podcast that you're doing is so credible. And uh, really, the pleasure is all mine being here. Thank you so much. So, Sanchita is a senior private banker with HSBC. She left HSBC and she co-founded Blue Edge, which is a multifamily investment office. She has been recognized as amongst the top 100 women in finance in India and Entrepreneur of the Year 2020. She is an avid reader, traveler, and a certified scuba diver. Wow, that's quite an amazing set of achievements. Thank you. So Sachita, tell me, what would you say are three key milestones in your life or career? All right. So if I were to categorize the three key milestones of my life, I would like to brand them, since this show is all about branding, into discovery, exploration, and actualization. So when I talk about discovery, the first milestone of my life, which was life-changing in my career for me, was, of course, my first job. Uh, I got a campus placement uh, from IB school into HDFC Bank, and I joined the executive training program. Uh, I taught their executive training program, and, uh, and I got recruited as a retail banker because I wanted to go get into retail banking. Uh, I did not, at that point in time, want to uh, work with the corporate bank or the investment banking division, although I had the options, uh, because I felt that the first job has so much to offer, you know, in terms of discovery. It is all about learning to live with a community, community of peers, superiors, seniors, clients, people from grassroots level, people who are very senior. So uh, that was the entire discovery process. I think the first job created the very foundation, the edifice of my career, what's standing on right now. So that was the discovery, the first milestone. And uh, the second milestone that I would like to talk about would be the exploration. In exploration, uh, yes, um, I was a senior vice president with HSBC Private Bank at a very senior managerial role. And, I, and I'm very grateful to HSBC. They really promoted me as a woman leader. Some of the milestones which I touched over there were like I concluded some certain very large stake deals for the bank. So that involved a lot of collaboration, a lot of networking with the corporate bank, with the investment banking division. Some of our promoters were selling off their stakes in companies, you know, to uh, German company or a French company and these would be sized Indian corporates. So immense learning. It really propelled me to a, a leadership position within the bank. And that was my second milestone. That was exploration, as I call it. And the third would be actualization. The third milestone, that's starting my own business. And um, yes, uh, I co-founded Blue Edge in 2015 with some of the top team in the HSBC private bank. And uh, yeah, it's been so far so good. I call it actualization. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure your actualization phase is going to be very, very successful. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, tell me, Sachita, you know, after a successful uh, or a very successful uh, role at HSBC, what made you uh, give up everything and start off on your own? Very interesting question. So I was, yes, definitely. I think I was uh, getting a little too comfortable. <laughs> I was a senior managerial role in HSBC. I was doing well. Uh, but I feel uh, once you have achieved a certain level of seniority, 
you do get a bit too comfortable in a sense i feel like limiting me as a person and i could so much more i did not want to uh, at that point in time to limit myself i wanted to go out learn more uh, do the things which i have not yet done in terms of starting my own business and i felt i was uh, ready you know i was there at the right time at the right place to do so Uh, in fact it wasn't really the order of the day but some of our clients saw that you know we were a good team mm-hmm. and said why don't you do something on your own and mm-hmm. we went ahead and did it fantastic so let's move to blue edge you know tell me about what you do in this uh, venture all right so just to give you a little bit of a brief uh, is an india focused uh, multi family office mm-hmm. about a multi family office concept that itself is a Uh, is a very new uh, word in the indian financial services sector balance uh, i'll give you a little bit of history over here you may have heard- you could also explain what is a multi family office because yes, a lot absolutely. of our viewers and listeners wouldn't know that absolutely so i'll take you back uh, i'll take a little bit of a history course over here okay. uh, you would have heard of the rockefellers they were a, a very wealthy family in america in the uh, 70s and 80s rockefeller fa- foundation was the first of its kind single family office right so but single family office okay that all the financial needs of their client say for example in india you'd have a pengi foundation you'll have the ratan tata trust right they would look at all aspects of the financial needs of their client in terms of investments in terms of uh, if you will wish to leverage yourself if you wish Uh, if you are looking at merger and acquisition if you're looking at various needs right funding all of that so uh, that's that's where a family office comes in they typically a multi family office we would have a niche set of clients and we are not aligned to any institution per se we are independent and whatever is the financial need of the promoter we get the best in class institution to fit in into that need so that is the exactly the job of a family office Uh, Blue Edge, of course, is an AMFI certified ARN registered mutual fund distributor. And that is how we go about it. So, if our clients would have a requirement in buying into a company, or divesting a company, or looking at a working capital, or looking at structuring businesses, that's uh, that's where we come in. So, you know, let's talk uh, about uh, mutual funds. But before that, what you're basically saying is that family offices that if tomorrow. one of your clients has a large sum of money and they want to work with one set of people for their all all their money they that would be called a family office and if you get multiple families that would be called a multiple family office or multi family is that correct yes so a single family office deals with a single family at one time and all of their financial needs within a multi family office setup you have a niche set of clients different families and you look at their various financial requirements uh, essentially what you do as a family office is you're sitting on the same side of the promoter right and negotiate with the best in class institutions for their various financial requirements and needs that's what you do as a family office understand uh, so you know these days there's a lot of uh, thrust being given by the government or the, or the, the financial institutions on mutual funds yes every cricketer is talking mutual fund sahi hai etc etc what is a mutual fund so very simply put a mutual fund is a pool of funds say if you have a large 
base of retail investors and they all deposit their savings and that becomes a pool of fund then there is a fund manager a mutual fund house has a trust structure in which they employ employees and a fund manager and they look at investing this pool of funds across securities right now those securities can either be bonds or they can be equity shares so if it's an equity mutual fund then that pool of money which is collected from investors is then invested across equity shares to build a portfolio of a basket of shares and if that pool of money is a debt mutual fund then that is invested across securities which are bonds and fixed income securities right so that is uh, in a layman's term what a mutual fund is and within that also say within an equity mutual fund you would have different types of you have sector funds you will you would have large cap funds based on the market capitalization you would have mid cap funds small cap funds you might sector funds you might have an it fund or a pharma fund or a banking services fund things like that and within debt too there is a huge number of categorizations in terms of liquid funds short term funds credit risk funds uh, income funds dynamically uh, managed bond funds things like that interesting and you know so when i was growing up my when i was much younger i used to invest directly on the stock market in equities today a lot of people are investing in mutual funds what is the risk profile difference between in equities or uh, or say buying uh, a pharma company versus a pharma mutual fund right i think there is there's a difference in approach see um in investments in india you know uh, the common parlance uh, people often misunderstand because you know here the markets are not yet very mature they're still very developing and if you were to look at the penetration of all of these products it's very very low still in mutual in the mutual fund industry life insurance industry so the knowledge of investors is uh, still not there now equity shares comes with its own risks so a lot of people often invest into equity thinking it's speculative it's gambling Uh, i do not look at investments in that manner i think it's a very very scientific process and uh, you have to understand you have to really deep dive and understand a lot of factors in terms of liquidity risk in terms of market risk so if you're buying into a share directly do you have all of the expert know how in terms of uh, the balance sheet of the company uh, the research of the company in terms of what is the market capitalization what is the liquidity of that share what is the volume that's being traded and all of that right so that requires very heavy lifting in terms of researching it continuously and being very up there on your research to be able to invest directly into one company and stick to that allocation uh in a mutual fund uh you essentially realize that no this is not my domain of expertise you know today unfortunately everybody is an expert in everything you know <laughs> you are a defense expert you're a health expert all of that but um, if you're a scientific person and you realize that no i do not understand everything that is there to understand within one share of a company you re- and you still realize that no i want a chunk of the pie of the indian growth story and my asset allocation is say you know i have 80% of my money in fixed income instruments and 20% i would like to invest into the equity markets in india but i do not have the bandwidth the knowledge research and the continuous bandwidth of researching shares and stocks i would like to give it to a manager to manage it for me you know give me decent returns over a period of time a longish period of time so that is when i would go for an equity mutual fund 
wherein you give the credibility, the generation of returns or the generation of capital gains, the onus you uh, assign it to a fund manager to do that for you, to do that research and invest for you. So, you know, what I'm hearing you say is that if I was to buy invest in a single company, my risk could be higher. Yes. Because I may not be able to do the same research. Absolutely. Uh, versus a mutual fund. So, therefore, what are risks associated with a mutual fund? Mutual funds also have risk associated. They have market risk. They have concentration risks. They would have a reinvestment risk. They would have, um, uh, within debt funds, you would have credit Again, liquidity risks, you would have interest rate risks. So you do have different types of risks. And it's, um, I think the approach towards investment, if one were to look at it very rationally and scientifically, uh, one should understand um, in terms of if you're at point A, you're going from point A to point B, what exactly are your objectives? What is the longevity of your portfolio? What is the duration that you wish to hold? your own risk profile you know and here we talk a lot about returns but very, uh, very few experts also talk about the risks under okay. risk mitigation strategies sure. sit with an expert understand all of this figure out your asset allocation in which you know you take various asset classes why just mutual funds you take equity mutual funds debt mutual funds bonds direct shares you look at real estate you look at gold Look at multi-classes of investments, sit with an expert, understand the various connotation, the risk-return aspect of every asset class, what are your individual objectives, and then design a portfolio. I think that's a very scientific way yeah. of going. No, that's a very, very good explanation. Thank you. So, you know, let's move on and talk about, uh, you know, the people who manage uh, other people's wealth, if I can use that term. Um, I have often debated this with many people to say that why do people who manage wealth only look at money when most homes or most families have their wealth in money, jewelry, art and property. Right. So what are your thoughts? I mean, why is it that everyone's only focused on money or is that is it because that's the easiest? Again, a very thought provoking question, I must say. What I feel is in middle class India, you know, the material landmarks are considered success. Correct. When you have grown up where money constraints force your everyday life choices, mm. being financially independent mm. becomes very important. Okay. I'll just again go back a little. I'll take a step back. I mean, if one were to look at India as an economy, you know, we're fairly still a very young economy, right? Correct. The majority part of our economic independence has been marked by social conservative conservatism, right? We've been very socially conservative for many number of years. I think post-liberalization is the time when the middle class consumption boom actually took off in a very big way, right? Post-liberalization, jobs were created, MNCs came into India, people started earning more surpluses, the banking sector went through a revolution of its own, NBFCs came to power, we would have auto loans, personal loans, all of that. So that is when consumption really started off in a very big way. And being financially independent, understanding financial instruments, services, products became equally important. And that's why the whole uh, aspect of the money came to fore. Okay. But I don't think that money is, uh, even now in India, 
uh, I beg to differ. I don't think it is the sole most important criteria or the focus because if money was the focus, then Mr. Ambani would not come to work every day. You know, and yeah. Shahrukh Khan will stop acting. <laughs> so I think um, right now we are at a paradigm shift in India, in which I would go a step beyond money and everything else. I think people are looking at experiences. People, the entrepreneurial spirit in India is intact. People are looking at creating their own. Uh, uh disruptions their businesses uh, and it's it's so much more it's it's essentially about experiences in life which people are focusing on i'm seeing that around me every day very interesting so i've got one more question for you on blue on on, on your work part of it or blue edge before i move to some other questions sure. like sanjeev this is the age of uh, millennials and the gen z's yes how are this category of people changing the investment business if i can say so yes this is uh, actually a very good question because uh, traditionally you know uh, in india people would not consider investments beyond fixed deposits real estate and gold ownership of assets was a very big deal right traditionally ownership real assets physical assets uh, irrespective of the taxation in is irrespective of the illiquidity irrespective of maintenance costs all of that people would not really be looking at the irr they would be looking at uh, absolute like i invested this year uh, i invested 100 rupee i sold off this year i made 150 rupees and that has been my gain so they would not look at say a per annum irr or a rate of return and things like that uh, i think the generation z the millennials their priorities um, have been very different again because of the entire consumption boom period that they have gone through and witnessed with their parents uh, they give very uh, little importance to ownership they understand that it's probably far easier and a greater rate of return if you to lease out say for example a lot of millennials would not give a lot of credence to owning a car they would uber it right because uh, owning a depreciating asset would something that they would understand straight away there's no joy in ownership similarly with real estate say for example they would not invest in a real estate say in a place like delhi where the rental yield is 2% okay. if rental yield is 2% and if you're putting your 100 rupees in a, a relatively safer aaa rated debt fund earnings can be 5 and 1/2 6% so straight away you're making a 4% arbitrage so millennial has 100 rupee he would rent out and invest that money in a portfolio which is giving a higher rate of return and he's clearly making an arbitrage doing so so this level of communication is far easier with the next generation because they understand this very interesting so let me move to the next segment of our conversation which is some questions for you personally sure great corporate career started off your own venture which is doing well what does success mean to sanjita I think success is very transient. It is. It's nothing fixed, and I do not give a lot of importance to it. <laughs> what I am today, that may be defined as a success for was ten years back. Okay. Years back, the Sanchita that was there would have defined the success. Defined as success is what I am today. Okay. But uh, to look at what success is for me today, then uh, yes, probably if the very large. policy making change happening in the country and uh, i am acknowledged uh, i am i am recognized as an acknowledged expert 
I called upon for my views for the policy change in the country would be a definition of success for me. So that would be um, an interesting way to look at it. But I think success is very transient. Um, I think one needs to just strive, improve, and try and reinvent and achieve best possible day on a daily basis every day for yourself. And looking ahead, you know, there's so much more that you have to do and so much that you're doing already. Where do you draw your inspiration from? Again, I'm not sure whether you'd like this answer, but... No, no. That's no right or right, wrong answer. <laughs> so, no one really. I think um, I do not have one particular role model that I look up to. Uh, there are many, in fact. Uh, uh, I have take a lot, taken a lot of pride actually in learning from the environment. And I've been blessed and very fortunate. I've had a set of conversations always in my entire 20-year career. Very, very interesting conversations with peers, with seniors, certain inv individuals in this industry whom I respect a lot and I look up to. Uh, so yes, I think learning from the environment has been very crucial. That's where I derive my inspiration from on a daily basis. And uh, also very differently, I think I derive a lot of inspiration from constructive criticism and feedback. I give a lot of credence to constructive criticism and feedback. I think it keeps me very grounded. It helps me a lot with introspection and it makes me a very open and a very flexible human being. So um, that's where I derive my inspiration. That's what a great answer. So I've <laughs> time for two more, two more questions for you. Sure. My next question is that if you, Sanchita, were a role model to millions of people, who closely followed you and your life choices, what is the one thing you would change in yourself? Very interesting again. Nothing at all. I would change nothing at all about myself. If I'm a role model for the youth, mm -hmm. to uh, break to them two things. One is uh, bad news and one is a good news. Okay. So I would always lay it out there. <laughs> That's uh, the bad news is that, you know, our society and education does not really tell us to deal with failure, disappointment, frustration, stress. You know, they, we are always told that you have to work very hard, study very hard, do well academically, uh, do have a great career, get settled, all of that. They do not tell us how things can go wrong in life and how you deal with failure. See, because let's understand today, it's a very rapid rapidly changing world because of the advent of technology, right? There's so much of automation, digitization, which is happening. In tomorrow's date, there will be lesser number of jobs. There will be lesser number of options. Uh, there will be so many of the youth lining up for that one uh, placement. Uh, how do you deal with this level of failure? The good news is, now let me come to the good news. The good news is, I think you can deal with it yourself. You must always believe in yourself that's first and foremost in yourself you have to understand yes this is a rapidly changing world you have to work smarter you have to read more you have to understand your skill set go out experiment experience a lot and shortlist yourself into things which make a meaningful difference to you what is possible for you to do whatever is possible for you to do go ahead and do it and my last question to you sure given all, all the challenges we are all facing because of the pandemic. Right. How are you rethinking your life in a new world order? Well, the new world order, I think, is funny because every 10 years there's a new world order. <laughs> but yeah, the 
rate of change is now becoming uh, faster. And I, like I mentioned, I think one has to be smarter. For me, I think what has really carried on for me for many years now is keeping the spark alive on a daily basis. So not concentrating on any long-term I think for me, every day is a short-term goal. So how do you keep that spark shining? You have to reinvent yourself on a daily basis. You have to understand how you can upskill yourself, how you can incorporate technology every day, how, how you can make a value addition, a difference to the lives of your clients, to the lives of your people around you on a daily basis. And you have to keep upskilling and coming up with new ways of doing business, re reaching out to many more people. And um, yes, keeping the spark alive fresh every day. Fantastic. Sachita, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. I wish you and Blue Edge and Thank the entire you. financial community, lots of success. Thank you so much, Ashutosh. And it was a pleasure doing this interview with you. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called you.